0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of a podcast directed by uh, with Dave and Mike. Mike, once again, say hi. Hello. Again, internet. I'm <laughs> going to make you do this every episode. People are going to get so sick of it. Um, so, you know, if you've been keeping up uh, with this podcast, we are now on our third movie of Sophia Coppola's. Uh, now that Mike has shit all over her most highly thought of movie, uh, we are did moving I, on. Did I yeah, really? You did. In comparison to, I think, what. Most people think of Lost in Translation. I think that that qualifies.
1: It was like <laughs> affectionate rough stuff. That's how I. <laughs> All right, we'll qualify into that.
0: <laughs> so this week we're doing uh, Marie Antoinette. Had, had you seen this movie before, Mike, or like were you kind of going into this blind? I was very
1: late to it. I think I watched it a few years ago because I was trying to work it into another podcast. And the guest on that one, um, I can't remember if he had uh, very bad feelings towards Miss Coplas' work here uh, or if he was just really excited about doing a particular film or anything else. I can't remember how it went, but I was very disappointed because I was in the mood for it, uh, which is a weird hmm. thing. Like, you know, that would have been – even then was almost like maybe 10 years after the fact. Uh, so – What I did have at that point in my head was, oh, that's the disaster. Everyone loved Lost in Translation. (laughs) She got a bunch of money. Uh, She did this like, you know, music video. That was a a charge that was sort of thrown out there with this one. And uh, everyone hated it. And so I probably had a really good rediscovery of it which was maybe just like this false narrative I'd built up like, Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. And then I like pick it up a decade later and I'm like, it's lovely and fun. And this is mine now. (laughs) Like it, it became suddenly very personal to a grown ass Kentucky man, looking at this <laughs> who knew <you> know, this <laughs> just little... her audience that's who sure. she was really you know centuries <laughs> later yeah. you know looking at uh the french politics and the, the tragedy of it all but also you know it's very pink and there's some cool rock music so how about that how yeah. about those apples huh <laughs>
0: uh so this is my second time watching it. i like you came to it pretty late i think probably watched it a year and a half or two years ago um, and had some issues with it but liked it overall and it, it got me to wondering like, OK, we've talked about this, about my, <laughs> my weird issues with Kirsten Dunst where like for some reason I just had like a negative reaction to her as an actress and I was still kind of in that mindset when I saw it. So I think a lot of my – whatever negative feelings I had toward it probably had a lot to do with – like she is – she's Marie Antoinette. She's the main character. I don't think there's a single scene in this movie that she's not present um, so if you don't like Kirsten Dunst, like this could be this could be kind of a rough watch. So let's, uh, let's get into the weeds
1: on that a little bit. So what? Okay. <laughs> uh, first off, just for yourself, you know, what is it about her? And I mean, what is it about her? Cause I don't much like the film. Like I kind of have an inkling. It's like oh, people don't really dick her. But I'm like, was it just her version of Mary Jane? The Spider Man movies. Like, what is it about her? Like, I don't feel like she's had enough of a film presence. To be like consistently obnoxious. So yeah, why I, is she Do you? I
0: don't know. I wish I had a good answer for this because I don't hold that opinion of her anymore. Like I, you know, going back and watching all these movies with her in it because, you know, she is kind of a uh, Sofia Coppola standby. Like she's in a lot of her films and I'm just like, I like her. She seems very nice. She seems very pleasant. <laughs> I like her on screen. That's not a good she's... podcast take. I, <laughs> I like know, her. She seems like, very nice. Uh, and I remember like even back then enjoying her in the first in the first couple Spider-Man movies like I you know I wasn't one of these guys of like she's not hot enough to play Mary Jane she's not her hair is not red enough like she's like oh, let's let's ease up fanboys it's okay um, I remember you know because the only other movies I think I had seen of hers before I saw her in like Coppola movies were like this and like what like bring it on like that was her big claim to fame. At that point? Yeah,
1: I mean, I uh, guess uh, as a child interview, it's a vampire. but Yeah, as far as and an she's adult great there, form. but
0: that's a very, I mean, that's like if you're looking at Natalie Portman's career, like, you know, like I, when I think of her career now, I don't think of Leon. I don't think of the professional. Like I. Phantom Menace,
1: Attack of the Clones. Yes, definitely. I'm with you.
0: I just think like people, when they age through Hollywood, like there's a, there's a big difference between their performance as a child and their performance in their 20s, 30s, 40s and beyond. Right. Like, I I think I don't remember who said this, but a a lot of people have said that, like, you know, when you work with work with kids, it's mostly good editing. Like, this is you do a bunch of takes and you try and find the right one. You're not going to find a lot of great child.
1: I've seen the uh, red carpet uh, pre Oscars interview with uh, Jacob Tremblay to know that that's a lot of editing to get that room (laughs) performance out of that kid. He he's a fucking (laughs) idiot. I mean, he's.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, he likes his socks, he's he's very excited, he's a really happy kid, uh, which is why we can't stand him. That's...
1: I just, just want him to know which movie he's in. I remember them asking him a question, like, what do you have coming up? And he's like, uh.
0: uh <laughs> well, I mean, the poor kid, he's got like six movies lined up like, and he's like 10 years old. Like, I don't know, man. I, know. I just go where they tell me to. <laughs> it really, you know,
1: it, it it definitely did ground the idea of like this uh, young thespian as the kid that doesn't know his address, doesn't know where he goes to school. And it's like, I went to school with those kids and nobody was like, handing them trophies. You know, no one was looking at them as this young genius, but. Kirsten Dunst maybe had a little bit of that with Interviews with Vampire so I'll give you that mm-hmm. that uh yeah she was she was held in high regard I think she was in Little Women with Winona Ryder I think that was oh, also like right. when she was on yep. the come up um but I think Marie Antoinette is more a hint of what like melancholia maybe that type of film right. that type of work mm-hmm. Is that cool enough for you, Dave? Yeah, I like it. Way, way to really dive up. into film Twitter. That's Let's go back to Bring weird. It On. I've got 10 minutes on that.
0: <laughs> just remember who brought up Bring It On. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, enough. so um, so when I you know saw this a couple years ago, I think I hadn't... I don't think I'd watched her in a lot recently, so I still had... You know, like sometimes it's terrible, but we have our preconceptions of people like going going into these movies. And this time, going going in again, I had kind of left a lot of that behind um, for whatever reason. And I I think I found it a much more enjoyable experience this time. And kind of you know uh, viewing this performance on its own instead of like, oh, it's Kirsten Dunst again. Here we go. You know, it's just like, and we all have actors like that. I'm sure you have actors where as soon as they show up, you're just like. I don't know if I can do this today. Like I just
1: <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. We'll we'll pick on an, another young blonde, another child actor. Uh, yep. but man, is she good in big little lies, which just yep. as of this recording just premiered again this week. And I like, Perfect. I like her when she's so mean, I like her yep. when she's, uh, not the nicest election. Another one,
0: you know, I yep. have a certain type with Reese Witherspoon. Yes, absolutely. Um, so going into this again, what were your, what were your kind of expectations? Did you, did you think you were going to like it more? Did you, did you think it would hold up? Like now that we're, you know, watching all of Sofia Coppola's work.
1: Well, it's, it's hard to, you know, I wonder if it's going to hold up because it was treated as sort of like a nice surprise to me the first time around. Hmm. So it's like, is, was I reacting more to this, the reaction 10 deck, you know, 10 years prior? Like that's, that's a weird thing right. to, But right. like, it's true. Like, and I, I heard this was
0: shitty, so I'm ready.
1: Yeah. That, <laughs> and I, I, So that goes to show, you know, I I know people with new releases, uh, especially in the podcast world, like are trying to avoid reacting to the reaction. But Marie Antoinette was a film that did, you know, it had that stigma about it that it was just like it would be like probably unfairly since I've not seen it watching like Ishtar to me. So Uh I was a little more hesitant watching this one than say our follow up uh, to this uh, somewhere um, Mm -hmm. because I had such a positive reaction to it. Uh, that was kind of like my little baby that I didn't, didn't want to ruin with your bullshit, Dave and your bullshit <laughs> podcast. It's um, fair enough, <laughs> but you know what? It's just, uh, it's a fucking fun movie. And it's to me, at least it is. It's very fun. And I think it's very rare for uh, a period piece of this nature to be fun, even with the conceit or I guess, you know, the, the, the concept she comes up with to make this like a rock video, um, mm-hmm. in a
0: good way. Um, but, I mean, I think there's there's a couple interesting things. I think it's, you know, it's framed in this music video way, right? Lots of, you know, bright colors and, you know, music that doesn't, doesn't – certainly doesn't fit the time and sometimes doesn't necessarily fit the mood and you've got everything over the top, whether it's the the costumes and the jewels and the food and everything else. And yet she's also, I think, trying to make – this person who's reviled throughout history – As someone you connect with on some level and maybe even feel a little bad for, you know, by opening up the movie as like, you know, literally stripping her and taking everything – from her and that like fucking dog man yeah even the dog before john wick what is absolutely like sorry you'll have lots of french dogs like it's just like i watched it like this is so mean Mm -hmm. like i don't like this i don't like how you're treating nice kirsten duncy i've totally switched (laughs) the experience of this movie and i think one of the things uh that i didn't like about the movie the first time through is now something i really do like about the movie so that was an interesting experience for me. So I was going in, kind of preparing myself for this thing that I didn't like. And the thing I didn't like is they don't show anything about really the, the people of France and what they're experiencing don't until care. the very end. Don't right. care. That's me. Well, well, I mean, not a, and for me it's not a don't care, but I think from a filmmaking perspective it's actually really smart because if you show everything terrible that's happening because of the behavior of the royals and everyone else, then it's hard to feel bad for her. Like, you can't because, like, oh, people are dying in the streets. I'm supposed to feel bad for this kind of weird coming of age in the palace story? Like, uh, not so much. So I actually really like now that they never show that until kind of the untimely end of everyone involved in this story. So you get wrapped up in the intrigue at the palace and who likes who and saying five words to this person versus seven words to this person. And I think that stuff really works. And I think the other... You know, you brought up the music, and I think that is another way of shaking up the audience and telling you, like, you need to care about these people. Because I think if you have something set in this time period and you have just, like, chamber music in the background or whatever else, then it doesn't it doesn't shake you as an audience member. And it doesn't tell you that these are real people because it can be really hard to relate to that situation. So I think the bright colors and the costumes, which they, I think, won an Academy Award for, and the music, I think, serve to – put it in your face and to show you, like, no, no, these are real people. This is a young girl who's put in a really difficult situation and just try to put yourself there. And I think the movie actually ends up doing a good job of that.
1: Hmm. Hey, we're coming at this from two different angles because I, I don't feel like she's put in a difficult spot at all. Other, once she gives up the dog,
0: <laughs> I think— Like, it's... if you had to have sex with Jason Schwartzman, that's, that's rough. Well, yeah, <laughs>
1: but, you know, he's— yeah, you know, he's trying to be accommodating in that regard too by not doing busy. it. <laughs> yeah, he's just busy making keys. <laughs> like, look, I know what I am. <laughs> I'll make it easy for you. I uh, I don't want it either. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's probably a difficult movie to talk about because you know you talked about mm-hmm. the indifference from the filmmaker to I guess the historical context of this character, yeah. which is there's not, not there's care. not really any sort of context for what's going on. And maybe if you're watching it, <laughs> it goes so far the other way. That you're like, why are they so mad at this girl? Like, because right, <laughs> right. we don't ever see their viewpoint. We hear about it, um, and there's a little sort of cheeky reference to the Let Them Eat Cake, where she does, <laughs> she gets Kirsten Dunst to say it, but then immediately. Like, you know, but jump, jump cuts bullshit. to i did not you know that's you know that that sort of thing that did not actually happen or did it and you know? it, and
0: i think that was like in the trailers too like yeah. that let them eat cake moment so it's like okay people you happy you get the like famous line from Marie antoinette and then we're gonna turn it on its head and be like but that never really
1: happened it works a lot better for me than you know similar themes that were We've covered on this with the virgin suicides, where, you know, in that regard, it's uh it's the male gays, the 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 neighbors, the little boys, who have complete indifference to almost every other aspect of their childhood or every other peer, and it's just like our hyper focus, even into adulthood, on what happened with those girls across the street. Lost in translation, you know, we both kind of talked about we, <laughs> you saying I, I sort of attacked. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, Bill Murray, as far as being indifferent to,
0: it's my whole goal with this podcast is to make you the bad guy. Well, you, your
1: part, you came at it from a probably more uh, politically aware viewpoint where it's like the film was kind of indifferent to the actual land that they're in by folks on these two tourists. I came at it like, Hey, Scarjo, maybe your friend on the phone just wants to hear what cool places you've been to and not go through this like mid midlife crisis you're having at the age of 20. <laughs> 20, yeah. Please treat your fin- friend with a little more kindness. Uh, here, I, I think it removes all the problems I would have with those characters by focusing on a young person reveling in being young and being hyper-focused on all the things you can do in a very – you know, very select portion of your life where you can be so focused on the clothes you wear or for, from Sofia Coppola's point of view, the music you're into, like this feels like a mixtape and it's like, mm-hmm. it's not even a period. Of course it's not period accurate to the time, but it's not <laughs> even necessarily period accurate to like a particular like generation of rock. I mean, we're going from like the early eighties, like new order to the early two thousands of strokes yeah that's yeah. so you know it's it's not necessarily like uh that they're doing the grunge this isn't singles from cameron crow where it's like <laughs> hyper focus on one particular time period so i right. mean it is the film is brazen uh about sort of wearing like <laughs> i guess it's like cool shit influences on its sleeve like no matter if like and it's you're just going to have to go with it. Like you eventually have to become, unfortunately I feel like most male critics were probably like the Jason Schwartzman character where they're like, can we Can I just go to bed? Do we have to stay up and party? Like, you know, how much longer do we have to have fun? Can we get serious? And I, I think the film's honest about the character that life, you know, did sneak up on these two. Like, I think he's the one that has the line. Like we're, you know, I think where they're praying, like, you know, we're far too young. He says something of that nature, far too young for basically the responsibility that's befallen us with the death of his father. Right. Uh, so basically, you know, take take pity on us, like as we sort of work mm-hmm. our way through it. But not, <laughs> not everyone who wins the lottery, um, not that they don't deserve their place in the world. Like, I mean, this is a young woman who's been politically motivated to go mate with another person, a complete stranger. So am I supposed to feel bad? That she has sort of a skewed sense of self? No. Fuck everybody else. Like, I want her to get hers. Like, I want her to build her nice little garden or a little, like, you know, cottage townhome or whatever away from the husband that, you know, doesn't really want to have sex and she doesn't want to have sex with him. I'm reveling in all of it. I'm like, get yours while you can because I, I know they're going <laughs> to
0: they're gonna come for your head. So Yeah, I'm just gonna this have doesn't with... have a happy ending. This is, I mean, I kind of love that it doesn't go – There are a couple kind of expected ways it could go, given that it's a quote-unquote period piece, even though it's clearly, you know, not a period piece. Um, It could have been very dour in some sequences where you have this, like, oh, my husband won't have sex with me. This is so upsetting. My mom's writing me these letters. My brother's coming to visit me, like, trying to teach me how to have sex with this guy. Um, But she's always, like, very kind of congenial about the whole thing. Like, kind of like, yeah, well, that's not happening anyway. I'm going to go... I'm going to party. Like, this is great. Like, whatever. We'll, we'll work it out. Like, she's always kind of upbeat about it. And then, you know, she starts cheating on him, you know, for lack of eh. – I mean, is it uh, – but there was never this moment like, well, he, you know, it was an embarrassment to the crown and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's never even delved into it. And they're just like, no, we're just having a good time. I'm going to hang out with my husband. We're going to we're gonna figure this out. Like, it's weirdly for a uh, for a movie that's talking about its lead character where you know, you know – it's going to end very poorly for her. It's like remarkably fun and positive throughout the entire runtime. Like even when they're, you know, you know, they're in the carriage ride on the way to their death. It's still kind of like, you know, there's a rueful smile, but it's not like no one's crying. No one's, you know, no one's like, Oh my God, this is the worst day of my life. It's still like, it's kind of look back at our time in the palace and those, we had a good time, like which is really strange for a movie like this, but I kind of love it for that reason.
1: I think the expectation is, if we're you know we're going to see a two-hour movie about this very famous historical character, like that you're 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 going to reveal something, something new or something important about this this person, and so to instead focus on them as either a lottery winner or like a a, a vapid celebrity. Probably, you know, it, it offends people that it's like, wait, I, I'm aware of that person and that's all there was to them. Like you're you're, right. you're sort of laying them bare as this could be, you know, the, the girl or the, the boy at the mall, like, you know, just hanging out, just bullshitting, like, you know, just sort of aim, aimlessly. And I, I think you really hit on something I like, but aimlessly, but pleasantly sort of going through the motions of being young and being aware that at some point this is going to end not not the way that, you know, it actually does. So I think that, that comes as a bit of a surprise because they're just so yeah. out of touch. But right. they, they have no chance but to be out of touch, at least in the context of this film, you know, th- this yeah. version of it. Which she, you know, she's on record, uh, Coppola is like saying, I, I wasn't attempting to do like some sort of like historically accurate. It's not a biopic. <laughs> like, no, <this> she's <laughs> like, you know, I kind of, this is like a. A truly like to me it's like a cover song that's so much better than the original. Like I don't have any fucking interest in the real Marie Antoinette. I don't want to watch that movie. And I'm not going to. I'm sure Netflix, you know, one day will make an original and they'll be like, You watched the crown, so now here's our bullshit. <laughs> and we already had a better one. We had like, you know, the the cool sort of pop rock version of it yeah. that I want to see.
0: Yeah. And it, you know, I was I was very surprised that this held up on rewatch for me because it is it is very bombastic and kind of like in your face with with the the colors and the style. Sometimes movies like that don't really hold up because you're just like, "Well, I already saw this. Like, I saw how crazy it was and how fun it was." So on that but point, I, hmm? do you think, I, I I guarantee you that probably
1: you and I, if, if we like it in video presentation theatrically, I probably would have thought, "Oh, this is the coolest shit ever!" Like if I saw this. I'm kind of mad at myself that I didn't see it in the theaters. Like if there's ever like a re-release of this, yeah, it's fair.
0: (laughs) If there's ever a re-release of this in theaters, like I'm going. Mm -hmm. Like this, this is something that, you know, as you kind of alluded to, like she, you know, she did very well uh, in her last movie as far as especially critically, right? Lost in translation. And she was probably rewarded with, you know, kind of a blank check, like do whatever you want. And like, God bless her. For like actually doing it and actually like, oh, because some people get a blank check. They're like, well, I've had this this script in the back of my head for a while. Let me really, let me write this very important uh, character piece. And she was like, no, let's buy every costume. Let's get, you know, catering to go out of control with the food. Let's get every song I could imagine. Let's make my own mixtape and put it on screen. And let me just make this look as beautiful as I can and really go all out. And I don't think she's ever done anything like this afterwards either. Like this is kind of this weird like it's as far as like the color scheme and everything else going on. It's kind of this weird anomaly where she was just like, I can do whatever I want. Okay, let's go for it and she really does.
1: It's not a um, one-to-one comparison, but um like think back to Quentin Tarantino with Pulp Fiction, which was not to, you know, make films like sports teams. Uh but Pulp Fiction was far bigger on the pop culture landscape than even lost in translation, which was very successful. Um, but this is like her version of kill bill. Like let's say yeah. that Jackie Brown didn't yeah. exist. And Jackie Brown, I, I think is unfortunately somewhat unheralded because it's not as catchy, I guess, you know, if we're, if we're going to mm-hmm. go with the music analogy as some of his other work, uh, I mean, it's actually about old people. I think it's his only film about old people. Um, mm-hmm. Facing the fact that they're old and they like, you know, <laughs> this may be it. Uh, but, you know, Tarantino, even after Pulp Fiction, took baby steps to doing the out there shit of Kill Bill, like this two volume samurai movie. Uh, not
0: Coppola, man. She just no, dives no. In. He, he
1: went back to like, you know, low level sort of crime movie, an Elmore Leonard adaptation. And it's really good. So it's not one to one. I'm not knocking him. But even he stills like All right, I'm gonna do one more, one more thing yeah. that they kind of expect. I'm of gonna me get some do, more goodwill
0: before I really before I do go. The here. Movie. No, she didn't. She just she just went for it. Yeah. I also think this movie, at least for me personally as a viewer, has a has an ace up its sleeve in Roseburn. Like I could watch her play this character for about six more hours.
1: She pr- she plays uh, plays loud drunk very well.
0: Oh, she's so good. She's so good. I like. I she's. Was was there a character that you wanted more of in this movie? Cuz like that even though Rose Byrne is in this a fair amount, I always wanted more of that character cuz she was just so enjoyable and over the top. Uh, and this movie really is about Marie Antoinette, so she's going to be in every sequence. So I think sometimes some of these side characters get shafted a little bit as far as screen time. So is there someone that you wanted more of, or were you kind of okay with? The well, way it was I mean, set up.
1: You, you took the one I'd want to hang out with, which is Rose Byrne, and she's you know she's part of the.
0: Which is true in every movie she's ever been right. in, honestly. Like... Uh,
1: yeah, I was. I was a huge fan of uh, Instant Family, which came out last year. Like, which that, that's also incredibly unhip, but. Her, her delivery in that movie of just completely indignant at being called uncool and unhip. Like I, I know I'm going to be once I name, (laughs) name drop instant family and a Marie Antoinette episode (laughs) to this young girl uh, who accuses her of like dressing old. Uh, it's like,
0: but hear me out. Hear me out. Her (laughs) response
1: is (laughs) this is Ann Taylor loft. Like the, as if the loft would (laughs) put it over the top, uh, yeah, I, I would say that uh, the big missed opportunity, not only of uh, Marie Antoinette not being fully appreciated when it was released, but uh, Rose Byrne not becoming like one of the five biggest uh, movie stars, com- comedy movie stars, is a bit unfortunate because it was always there. I I I'm, I forgot she was in this as well, and I'm like, oh, there, yeah, you, you got to have the the friend who's really reveling in it, like because she has. And none it's of the wild because we
0: both only saw this a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and like I think when I was watching, I even like put something online about like I totally forgot. Rose, and I got really excited. I was like, this is going to be great. And it was like, she really like, I think sometimes with a movie this big, I think sometimes there's, there's a chance that actors kind of get swallowed up by how big it is. And they go small because they're just like, I don't know how to keep up with something this frenetic and this colorful And Rose Byrne, on the other hand, who's a very good comedic actress, like whether you talk about Instant Family or her role in Spy with Melissa McCarthy, like she's – or in uh, – was it Neighbors? Like she's Mm -hmm. always, always, always good in these comedic roles. And this kind of toes that line between – like it's always comedic, but it's got some modernity to it and it's got some like period piece to it too. Like she really, I think, out of everyone in the movie kind of I think understands most what Coppola is going for here. And it's a really tough balance because if you go just one step further than Rose Byrne does in this movie, it's like, I can't even watch this. This is too much. And I she's mean, like right on that line.
1: We do have, uh, one of the previous, uh, cast members, I guess you would call it of jackass. And, uh, I think party boy is in somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for me, it wouldn't have crossed the line, but maybe having uh, Tom Hardy do some of the party boy stuff from jackass mm. in the party sequences <laughs> would have been all right. Would have fit the bill. So if you're, <laughs> if you're asking me to answer the question, it can't be Rose Byrne more of somebody, Tom Hardy as a drunken jackass
0: in the That's background. Good, sure. I actually did feel that when I was watching the movie and some of it's probably just because Tom Hardy has gone to kind of these great heights, especially as a supporting mm-hmm. actor that you're just like, you had Tom Hardy and he's like barely here. He's barely and of course this is back before kind of he had become a star, even though it feels weird to call him a star. Like he's known, but he's not like a movie star. He's well, not the guy I mean, you cast you, as the
1: lead. You look like Tom Hardy. It still takes decades. Right? I mean it still right? takes fucking forever. So This was
0: before he was covering his face in every movie he mm-hmm. did. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. So I mean I think there are a couple missed opportunities, but like I you know, I knew there were going to be some surprises when we did the show about like what movies we really latch onto, and if you had given me these like six movies ahead of time, I don't think that Marie Antoinette was going to be the one to be like, "Can't wait, that's the one we're really going to like." Like I, you know, maybe Lost in Translation, maybe have a you know a a one eighty on some of her later movies that I didn't like, but like I. I really enjoy, and this is one of her longer movies too. We've kind of talked about how she tends to make these movies that are about 90 to 100 minutes. This is a full on two hour movie, which and is like, the main honestly, reason she is our <laughs> launch director. <laughs> this is why she's our favorite. Uh, but like, I actually like, I rarely say this, but if this movie had been a little bit longer, I wouldn't have minded I no. having
1: a good time. Well, it's, it's hard to maintain that energy. Um, yeah, it is. and so, I mean, it's actually impressive that it is a two hour movie and it, it maintains that and really doesn't focus too much on the downfall. Like it's almost like, mm-hmm. Oh, it feels like that's just like the last 10 minutes and it's like a party. It is. And then it's like, you know, <laughs> not even the hangover, but it's just like being woken up from the party. Like you didn't get enough sleep. Uh, and it, it's, I don't want to like label it as a gut punch. I mean, I think it's, sort of telegraphed like that because we don't sure. actually get to the full ramifications. Uh, like they, they just basically, <laughs> it's like they're kicked out of the, uh, the sorority or the frat house. Like that's right. like, that's basically where the movie sort of ends. Um, but no, I, I'm, I mean this one, I was really looking forward to revisiting. Um, I came into it thinking, Oh, that's, that's going to be my favorite of this series for her. Uh, because that, that's the memory I had of it was that it just sort right. of caught me off guard off balance, but, um, no, I would, I would gladly watch it again. And, uh, now I, I can, you know, go back to that person that's like, let's not do this for the uh, podcast and be like, you asshole. Like <laughs> the day
0: is mine. Here's my new podcast with Dave. I yes. finally got around to it. <laughs> you win. Finally. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's actually to me, a really smart choice to not, to not go really go into what happens to them after this. Cause we all know. Right? It's no it's no secret how Marie Antoinette dies, how everything goes. So for them to just have this kind of, you know, slightly down, you know, trip on the on the wagon, and then you see like the ramifications of what they did to the palace, like that's enough. Like you, for me, like, because everyone knows what happens to her, you get the message at the end of this. You don't need to like it doesn't need to go blood and gore, it doesn't need to show all the all the details. Like they have, you know, a line here and there about like, oh, the people are pretty pissed off. Like people are dying in the streets. Anyway, (laughs) back to the party. Like, because we all know the history there, at least enough of it, I think that's enough. And you don't need to like get into the weeds about like what's going on in the streets of Paris or what goes on in how Marie Antoinette and her husband die. Like we all know that. So just show these little quick shots and roll credits and you're good. Well, one big problem with uh, films that,
1: our historical narratives is they're expecting some sort of um, prior knowledge, uh, I guess, in the marketing as far as why this person is worthy of a film, a two hour film or whatever. We're going to go over their life story. Usually someone that has had, even if it's something small, like um, the Hugh Jackman movie, uh, the the front runner that came out and failed. uh, Nobody saw. Yes. Well, I mean, it's about the, you know, 1988, uh, presidential race. And this guy, this guy that has an affair and it's like, dude, (laughs) you talk about being dated. Like, I know you're going to like get into that a little bit. Uh, but I remember seeing that with thinking like, why, why is this relevant? You know, like 30 years later, like, is this, you know, it's an affair. Okay. Um, this one's obviously bigger in scope, but I, I feel like that a lot of those movies that I don't like, like the, the biopics, it's like, they're checking off a list of like, see, this is why, this is why this person deserves a movie. This is why this person, like, cause all of these things that happened and we're going to put them in the appropriate context for you. So you can make sense of why this person gets an Oscar movie. And this one, this is not Oscar baiting the slightest. I mean, this, no. this feels like it's aimed at, you know, bring it on audience. Like really? Like, I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. they probably aged out of it, but you could have put it in the same summer, and it's like it's aimed at those teenagers. Or maybe if you're going in a little bit uh, higher class, I mean, I don't, I don't want to knock bring it on because I think it does what it sets out to do. But like <laughs> the Moulin Rouge audience, like you know, someone that's mm-hmm. looking for like a fun sort of glamorous summer movie. And I think it just offended people that <laughs> made them feel like if they were like fans, if you can call them that of Marie Antoinette as a st- historical figure, that it was like offensive. Right. Like you're not explaining like why she was that important or to the people that, as you said, <laughs> like you're not telling us how horrid she was or the conditions of the people suffering under her reign of excess. You're not going off the list of like why we should remember her in infamy. But right. it it feels, it probably feels more accurate to how it felt to be that person. Like, cause you don't, you mm-hmm. have no context for how you fit into the narrative of like the fucking world at that point. No. I mean, I Absolutely would, not. cause my ego is
0: enormous. But... <laughs> and also like, she starts the story as a 14 year old girl, like 14 year olds regardless, boy or girl, are generally not super aware of how they're affecting other people. It is a, it is the most one of the most selfish periods of your life. Like it's just like everything is about what I can get and what feels good and what comes next. This is exciting. And like, I don't know, that kind of fits. And I kind of love it. And actually I like, you know, before we recorded, I went and kind of looked up like, oh, what did people think? And you know, the the critical reaction is very mixed. Like there's some people who think it's great and some people who think it's just horrible. But I found it very interesting that one of the people that's kind of quoted is a, you know, a pop culture critic, but also an expert on Marie Antoinette. And they were very huffy about it, like, oh, this was not like it at all. And Sophia Fio Gubble was like, yeah, I know. Like that wasn't the goal. This is not, like you said, it's not a biopic. She's not interested in how she fits into the context. I think she's more interested on how excess and being thrown into that world at a, at a tender age is going to affect people. And how they interact with everyone else. Because if you look at what she did in this movie, in the palace, like all of it is kind of understandable. Like you kind of get where she's coming from. Like of course she's not going to be aware. I mean look at anyone who's super rich, even without this kind of power. Like any, any like you mentioned lottery winners or, you know, athletes who have, you know, $200 million in the bank. Like if you ask them like what, what it's like to live, you know, paycheck to paycheck, they're going to be like, Man, I don't know and I don't care. Like, why should I (laughs) like, and I think she really captures that. There's a uh, uh,
1: a scene from Seinfeld where uh, I believe they were talking about power dynamics in a relationship. And uh, of course, Jerry has screwed over Elaine because they she was dating a mutual friend of theirs. And he makes the, you know, in his mind, somewhat innocuous comment of like, oh, yeah, here you guys are real like hot and heavy, like. You know, just like things are going well, good for you guys. And she's a guess that like, why would you tell him that? Like now he's going to think like I'm on this level and he's mm. not you've given him all this power. Don't you understand what you've done to me? Like I have no power <laughs> or control anymore. And he takes it in, he's like, Oh, that sounds terrible. I would never want to be in that position. <laughs> <laughs> like it's right. never even considered it. Like he's never been on the other side of it where it's like, Ooh, that is awful. Yep. Yeah. I mean that's mm-hmm. and the thing is, we're like, we're, we're seemingly fine as moviegoers to revel in assholes, usually men, uh, as long as they are aware or acknowledge are a- assholes. Like think of uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. You know, people mm-hmm. can laugh and they can enjoy it as a piece of entertainment about, I guess you will call him a historical figure, you know, based on a true story. Uh, this guy who ripped people off and reveled in being rich. But as long as he looks at the camera and breaks the fourth wall and is like, "Yeah, I'm a prick. I yep. love being a prick." As long as he
0: does it with a wink and a smile, we're, you're
1: okay. But if you do it with indifference, and in a film about youthful indifference, it's it's mm-hmm. like I don't know if people felt dirty watching this, or they're like, you know, or maybe they just hated that you know sneakers were in the in the shot or something. <laughs> I, I saw that mentioned quite a bit. Like people got hung up on the. You know, the modern footwear, like being it's amazing there. what
0: people get hung up on yeah. in movies like this. It's clearly not trying to be historically accurate. Like, I think you you should know it from like maybe five minutes into this movie that this is not <laughs> this is not a BBC production of the life of Marie Antoinette. Like, that's that's not what we're going.
1: For. And we we wouldn't be talking about it if it were really.
0: Absolutely. Um, So speaking of that, where do you stand with Sofia Coppola now after watching or rewatching three of her movies.
1: Hmm. <laughs> Do I like her more or less because now coming off the high of Marie Antoinette, am I going to approach these next series of conversations of films uh with a little bit of pain wanting her to just like, you know, just fucking go for the guitar solo of Marie Have Antoinette. Some fun. Again? Yeah, just <laughs> Yeah, because Lost in Translation is such a a muted, uh, you know, the the sense of humor there is, you know, obviously very quiet solo characters and just long shots of them having mildly amusing slash annoying things happen to them. Whereas, (laughs) you know, this, uh, I mean, there's nothing mild about the lifestyle that Kirsten Dunst version of the character (laughs) plays. So I think, you know, I think I'm going to come to these next films probably bring up this film. Unfortunately, if you hated this, if you hate this podcast and you hated this film, you may hate me going forward for the next, you know, <laughs> few episodes. Cause I'm going to be like, where, you know, where is that? Where's that? hint? <laughs> Where's the fun? Come on. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously fun in some of the later films, but this is such sure. a, uh, such a defiant movie and it, both it's interest it works, and right. it's presentation uh that I think I'll I'll be looking forward to that uh even more so in films that unfortunately didn't make the uh, timeline of this podcast you know it may okay. still be around the corner but I don't know as if I was coming off of this in 2006 I would be like okay I get it I get like mm-hmm. you know Virgin Suicides I saw you know someone like I that's one to watch for uh Lost in Translation well that got Praised quite a bit, but maybe, you know, maybe not as much as it should. And this one, it's like, okay, now, now I'm, now I'm seeing what people supposedly saw in Lost in Translation. I see with this. And of course, uh, if we were on podcast terms, if we were online at the time, if there was such thing as podcast, then I would be like, just, Listening to them and bitching about them to you privately, like sending right. DMs, like L- did you listen to this? They're idiots. Everyone's an <laughs> idiot, Dave, but us.
0: They all miss the point with us. <laughs> uh, luckily, listeners, you have us to listen to. Finally, someone who understands who gets the point. I
1: mean, you can you can reach out. The only interaction I like is when if you call me an idiot, I I, <laughs> I like the word idiot. I like <laughs> I like to look at it. It's probably my favorite one, just like <laughs> aesthetically. So you can call me that online. It's fine.
0: Nice. Uh yeah, at directed by Pod, uh, come come <laughs> sure. yell at Mike. <laughs> um, I think for me it's it's interesting because when we first when we had our introductory ep- episode about Sofia Coppola, I I said I was looking forward to watching her most recent movie because I felt like my expectations were too high. Uh, uh and I think I'm making the same mistake all over again. I think my expectations are even higher mm. now watching them in order uh, because, like I mentioned earlier in this episode, I didn't see this until a couple years ago. And had I watched her movies like as soon as they came out, like my expectations right now are like through the roof because I at least like all three of these movies. Like I would watch any of these three uh, right now and I would be totally happy to watch any of them. And I think uh, actually – Even Lost in Translation. Even, even, even the terrible Lost in know, Translation. It's not keep me awake. It's 11 o'clock <laughs> at night here. I don't know. It's, so but for me, if anything, each one has been a little bit of a step up. Um and I know that's like scandalous to say that Marie Antoinette is better or more enjoyable than Lost in Translation, but that's kind of where I'm at after watching this movie. And that's I mean it is. And that's <laughs> that's definitely not something I thought I would have said a couple weeks ago. Like that is unexpected. Um so it'll be interesting moving forward to movies like Somewhere see kind of where we land after that. Cause I think we're actually strangely, even though we had, a, you know, a disagreement about lost in translation, we're still in kind of a very similar place after this third movie and kind of moving forward into the kind of second half of her, of her current career. Uh, so I think it'd be interesting to see where we end up on these next three movies. Cause right now my ex- expectations are even higher than I expected them to be watching these movies the second time through.
1: My expectation is uh much like the end of Marie Antoinette. Uh, we say goodbye to our agreements, Dave, and expect disagreements in the second yes. half.
0: It's good. I like it. All right, um, so I think that's it for this episode. Our next episode, of course, will cover a movie we've mentioned, I think, three or four times now on this episode, uh, which is Somewhere. It um, stars, uh, what, Stephen Dorff uh, in the lead role here, an actor we don't necessarily see a lot of in Hollywood. So that's something How dare to look you. forward to. It's true. True. What? true Detective. He was great in the I, last season. I said of Hollywood. Detective. We're not here to talk about television. That nonsense. No, no. Movies only. We need clicks, Dave. <laughs> it's true. True Detective. That's what's going to get us clicks. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about just that. Just say HBO
1: <laughs> or something. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. This aired before Game of Thrones. Hashtag ha- Game of Thrones. Hashtag
0: it's not TV. It's HBO. All right. Uh, so in our next episode, that is what we're talking about. So go ahead and rent that on Amazon or iTunes or wherever you can find it uh, check it out so you can know what we're talking about and we will talk to you then now like a ghost to me. just like men I can.